Parigalust Global Advocate Podcasting, Terhagostavaj, Michelle Clark Sirizihet. Whether you live in an apartment, home, or mansion, chances are you have windows, right? Which may be covered or not by some kind of window treatment like blinds. I sat down with my dear friend and former college mate Paul Wood, head of Budget Blinds of Rochester and the Finger Lakes in New York State, to discuss the business of running a business and his personal insights into his family life. I'm also debuting a new segment called Wait What? Big thanks to my beautiful voiceovers, Carolyn and Taylor Wood, for their support. Enjoy. Welcome to the Global Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Clark Series, and I am so honored and thrilled to bits that you have taken the time out to listen to my podcast. I created this podcast to simply introduce you to some fascinating individuals who I've gotten to know from around the globe and who I want you to know too. It's as simple as that. Look, just consider me your global advocate. Well, hello there, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Global Advocate. This episode brings us to Rochester, New York, which is about five and a half hours from New York City. Today, I have the pleasure and honor of introducing a dear friend, uh, Mr. Paul Wood, who is owner of Budget Blinds Rochester and the Finger Lakes. Welcome to The Global Advocate, Mr. Wood. Thank you, Michelle. Pleasure <laughs> to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. First of all, where is Rochester, New York? Well, Rochester's uh, upstate New York. It's uh, between Buffalo to the west and Syracuse to the east, about 60 to 70 miles between each. And um, uh, just to the north of us is Lake Ontario. And uh, we've, we're kind of in the heart of the Finger Lakes region as well. And I've uh, pretty much lived here all my life, except for six years that I spent in Massachusetts. All right. So where are your offices located? Well, Budget Blinds is a national franchised business. Their corporate headquarters are out of California. They're in, I think, Anaheim or Orange, California. And then they have, we have roughly 1,400 franchisees across the country, servicing all 50 states and uh, I believe a few in Mexico and a number of them in Canada. Um, and I've been a franchisee. This is the, the start of my 15th year. It's hard to believe. Wow. So you have been in the business for 15 years, and you've always been based in Rochester, New York? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's a franchise that you can start out of your home. Um, you don't need a ton of overhead. You don't need to find a retail space. It's, it's all about bringing, you know, the consultation to the customer instead of a traditional cement and, you know, brick type establishment where you're waiting for people to come to you. Right. Um, and it's worked out great for budget blinds. So, you know, each, each franchisee is trained for two weeks at their facility and you're buying your own business and it's not necessarily for everybody. There's been plenty of people who've done it and maybe six months to a year and find that it's just not for them and they sell it and move on. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of work owning your own business, what whatever, whatever you do. Right. Right. What areas does your business uh, serve? Well, with, you know, going the franchise route with a lot of different businesses, what you're getting is a guaranteed sales area. So I have multiple zip codes 
that I own and uh, they are protected by my contract, meaning other franchisees can't go into my zip codes and obviously I can't go into their zip codes without permission. So uh, there's myself here um, and then there's two other franchisees in the market that have both been doing it about, I think one is in her fifth year and the other is in her fourth. And so between the three of us, we cover like about a four county area of upstate New York and Rochester. So you mentioned that you have territories. Do you ever have turf wars? No, no. If we get along and that's the, that's the key when you've got neighboring franchisees, it's just communication. Okay. If somebody calls me and they've got a contact who needs a few windows in my territory, go get it. I'm not going to you know, sit there and be that territorial. Mm -hmm. we, just, we just can't have them building off of that business in your territory. All of a sudden the neighbor wants to do something or their, their sister lives in the same town. So it's kind of a one and done type of thing to take care of a few windows for a friend or a family member or something. And that's fine because I'll, I'll ask the same for them. Now, your territory is quite a big one. Tell us about it. What are the areas that you cover? Um, in this market, it's uh, the suburbs of Fairport, Pittsford, Brighton, uh, the town I live in, Victor, uh, and a little town called Menden, Honey Falls, and then virtually the whole Finger Lakes region from Geneva, New York, to Geneseo, up and down Route 5 and 20. So that encompasses you know, Seneca Lake, Cayuca Lake, Canandaigua Lake, Honey and Canisius Lakes for the most part. And we could go as far south as we want to, an hour, hour and a half south if we want to. It doesn't really pay us dividends to do a lot of business that far away because you know, if in three years we need to go back for a service call, then we got to drive, you know, two and a half hours or three hours round trip to uh, take care of something. So we try to just do as much as we can in our backyard. And, you know, right now with the economy being as good as it is, yeah, we really don't have to, you know, go searching to the, the outer limits for business. So how often would you say you're on the road? Every day, meaning just around town. It's not like, you know, I, I was manufacturer's rep for a number of years and, you know, leave Monday, home Friday. At least I'm sleeping in my own bed every night. But um, when it's busy like it is now, I average between five and six sales appointments a day. So there's weeks where I have between 25 and 30. Uh, there's some weeks I could work Saturday and Sunday if I wanted to. Um, you know, based on a vac upcoming vacation, if I'm trying to pack more in, I can do that. But yeah, it's um, I'm out there every day. I get to my office by about 7, 7.30. And then my first appointment is usually 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And then they just, about every hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes after that is a new appointment. And it could be small stuff. It could be commercial. It could be a new build. Um, you know, and uh, so, yeah, we have no shortage of business right now. Well, that's good. It's great. And it's, I think... You know, the, the brand, Budget Blinds, has really matured over the last few years. And now that we have three competent, very good franchisees in the market, it's good for all of us, you know, the exposure. Because they're just, you know, people are talking about it on social media and things like that. Um, so, you know, in any small business that's service-based like we are, the biggest thing to build your business is repeat and referrals. Mm -hmm. and if, if you're not taking care of your customers, especially in those first couple years, you're not building your business. The word's going to get out. You're going to be done in three, four years, just like, you know, owning a restaurant or whatever. Right. But, um, you know, we strive every day to take care of our, our customers to the best of our ability and make sure they're satisfied and happy with the products that we're selling them and installing them. Now, on your website, it says that Budget Blinds has served over 25 million windows 
undressed. How undressed were they? Were they like horribly naked? Like, talk to us about that. Well, um, you know, in new builds, they're obviously horribly naked. They're very naked. So, uh, and then, but, you know, we have people who have been in a home 20 years and their stuff's outdated and gross and dusty and filthy. And yeah. trust me, we've hauled a lot of dirty blinds to the dump uh, over the years, taking down old vertical blinds and mini blinds and stuff that you can't believe people put up with for as long as they did. But it certainly looks nice when we can take out the old and, and put in some new products and, you know, freshen the place up for them. It also says on your website that uh, it's by appointment only. Um, have you ever had anyone call you with an urgent request, like they had to have you put some blinds up, like ASAP? Of course. And the the thing is, we the the part of the market that we service is the made to measure market, so it's custom. We don't really have any stock products. You know, people can't you know show up at the door and expect me you know pick a white blind and have it cut buy some special saw in my shop and take it home with them that day and put it up. That's mm. that market is serviced by, you know, the home stores. They're going to have a decent selection of the basics. And if something needs to be cut to fit and they want to take it home that day, they can do that. But we kind of start at that next level in terms of quality and then selection. Certainly you go into the home store for something like that. You might have one or two colors per products. Whereas when we roll up, we've got, you know, I probably have on average 20 to 25 sample books in my vehicle of all sorts of different window treatments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can really go deep with our selection of products and the colors available and uh, features as well. Plantation shutters seem to be quite a hit at Budget Blinds. Have you ever been on a plantation? Uh, I can't say I have. There's not too many of them up here in upstate New York. I'd have to go a little <laughs> further south, but... Um, yeah, shutters are a fantastic product. Um, there are franchisees in the market that really excel it, and there's and it's for up here. It's a decent market. It's not the greatest market for us, just because you know people are buying two-inch wood blinds mm -hmm. and honeycombs and Roman shades and so on. Certain parts of the country really excel in selling shutters, and it's usually the South and the West. So you know your Carolinas, Florida, Arizona, California, shutters are huge. People are doing whole houses. In shutters so it can really add up in terms of sales for those franchisees with us here it's people maybe want to do their living room dining room across the front of the house for some curb appeal or a couple of uh, bathroom windows or what have you so it's it's a decent little part of our business i wish it could be stronger because i have a fantastic installer who can put up shutters like you know i put up two inch wood blinds and mm -hmm. honeycomb shades so mm -hmm. um but yeah they are a fantastic product uh you know, easy to keep clean. They're timeless. Mm -hmm. They'll look the same 20 years from now is the day we put them up. Right, 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 right. Um, so what is the most popular shade that you put up? For me personally, in terms of just sheer volume is the cellular honeycomb shade. Okay. Um, they've kind of replaced the everyday old roller shade that people would, you know, buy and just pull down for, for privacy. The, the nice thing is, is that they come in a ton of colors. But the back is always neutral and white to the road. So if you had multiple rooms across the front of your house and the son's room needs a little blue shade and, you know, the daughters need, you know, lavender or pink, you can do that across the front and they're all going to be neutral to the road. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they're extremely insulating. Uh, you can do them cordless. Child safety is obviously one of the biggest discussion topics in our, in our industry these days. You know, having as many products cordless lift as possible. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're also great for room darkening. It's my number one room darkening products so if somebody's you know mostly for bedrooms 
people like it really dark um, you can get a nice tight fit with it and it will virtually keep all the sun out except for a little halo on the edges so you don't recommend painting a window black no no that's <laughs> something i would never recommend all right just checking <laughs> <laughs> um I find it interesting people that don't have shades at all in their home. Like they just live with their windows open. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not that edgy. What's the matter with me? Um, that's the thing when you, you've been in business for as long as we have and been in as many homes and dealt with as many personalities, all ages and in types of needs. Um, yeah, you have some people with rooms who just absolutely don't want to put anything in it and others that want literally from the day they move in to cover every piece of glass in their house because yeah. you know everybody has different levels of security and privacy and so on and maybe their husband travels a lot and they you know once it gets dark out they don't want anybody being able to see in the home and then there's others that are just carefree and it's like hey they want to see this you know yeah you know yeah absolutely you know let them let, let them <laughs> let them go you know but yeah it's um Definitely, every experience is different when we walk into a home. Right. How, how private are you? Like, are you the kind of person, even though your business is putting up blinds, but do you consider yourself quite private? Or could you live without blinds? Like, No, we definitely need blinds. Okay. And it's not just for the privacy. I mean, like, all the kids' bedrooms here at our house have the blackout shades. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're just great. You don't have the sun screaming in at you at mm -hmm. 5 in the morning, to, you know. So, yeah, but no, privacy's good, especially in a... In a house full of uh, five ladies. Well, yes, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, tell us about your background, Paul. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in a suburb of Rochester called Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. and uh, you know my parents raised uh, the four four boys there. I'm the youngest of four boys, and uh, so we all went through Pittsburgh schools, and uh, you know some we did some uh, different sports. My brothers played football and baseball, and I played basketball and baseball in high school. Uh, Pittsburgh's a great little town. It's not to get into a crazy history, but it's you know right along the uh, the Erie or Barge Canal, so it was a huge uh, industry type little stopping town during the early 1900s, late 1800s, and so on for for merchants. And uh, it's got a lovely village and and so on because of the you know all the activity that was going on there back in in the day. And uh, now I live in Victor, which is just really the next town over. And um, which is more of a, an older farm town, but right. it is it is over the last twenty years been the number one growth uh, suburb in Rochester. Oh, really? Wow! Yeah, and it's actually in a different county. We're in the we're in Ontario, nor, northeast or excuse me, northwest Ontario County, and Monroe County is you know right there. But um, but most of the people live in Victor, you know, working either in Greater Ontario County or Monroe County. Most of them. Um, it gets pretty cold here, doesn't it? Yeah, upstate upstate New York is known for uh, having uh, blessing us with uh, long, cold stretches of winter. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's the winter we, we're okay with. It's when spring doesn't want to show up mm -hmm. until the end of May, mm -hmm. um, even though you call it spring in March and April or what have you. But it's uh, yeah, it's been cold and dreary. So when we get those first 80-degree days with the sun out, people uh, generally are in a much better mood. The, the phone starts to ring because all of a sudden the sun's in the rise and it's starting to get warmer. So... We definitely notice a trend when things get warmer here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How far back can you trace your family? How long have they been living in this area? I'm thinking at least just three generations. Oh, wow. Um, maybe more. My, my maternal grandparents came over from England in, at, at a young age uh, when they were in their you know, single digits, eight, nine, ten years old. 
Um, my father's parents were, you know, small town farmers, dairy farmers, and uh, you know, in a very small town west of Rochester um, called Burgeon. Um, I think my father's graduating class was about 14 kids. And uh, his parents, at least, they had the wherewithal to tell, you know, the three boys that they had that, um, you know, none of them were going to become farmers. They needed to, you know, this was kind of post-World War II that they were getting ready to graduate high school. So, you know, they encouraged them to all go in the service to get their money to go to college. And so they really changed the family tree because, you know, two of them went to the U of R and my father went to Hamilton College. And, you know, none of them were farmers after that. They wow. became, you know, insurance people or... Uh, you know, my Uncle Dick owned his own business uh, and so on. They sold real estate. My father was in the insurance business for almost 30 years and then sold real estate with my mother. So they, uh, they, they formed a new branch, that's for sure. Oh, wow. How interesting is that? So you mentioned in high school you took up basketball and baseball. Mm -hmm. Where did you go to college? I went to one of our state schools, uh, SUNY Fredonia, um, a little southwest of Buffalo. And uh, I played baseball in high school. That was really my passionate sport back as a kid and uh, you know decided I wanted to play in college and you know I wasn't a division one type player back then we're talking 1985 I was all about 6'2", 155 pounds it wasn't like I was you know some of these kids who've been training in a weight room since age 12 that was, <laughs> yeah, right. that was old school athletics you know you mm -hmm. show up you, you know you you run sprints you run the bases you play long toss you're in the cage you're working on your swing mm -hmm. but you know and when we got to Fredonia, it wasn't much different. I mean, athletics were different. We played a lot of baseball, but we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. And it's just bizarre that compared to what kids are doing today that I literally was never in the weight room once in four years. Oh, my goodness. And was, you know, and but nobody was, you know. I mean, kids just played. And they had talent or they, you know, didn't. And uh, But it was a lot of fun. Fredonia was great. I was a business major there. Um, probably one of the biggest things that I got out of it was, you know, my teammates and the lifelong friendships I've had with a number of uh, my college friends and then also meeting my wife. You know, she uh, she showed up as a freshman um, when I was a junior and, you know, I saw her, I was, I think at baseball practice, she was on the track team, so I saw this, you know, beautiful young lady running running laps and I'm like, she doesn't look too familiar, we're gonna have to, <laughs> we're gonna have to try to uh, find a way to get introduced, so. Um, so yeah, Fredonia's a great time and, uh, you know, being able to, to play a, a college sport, build the relationships you had, find your future wife, oh, and get your business degree too, you know, yes. was, was, was a good accomplishment for me. It was a good accomplishment. I mean, I, I would say not a lot of individuals get to hit home runs in, high, in college the way you did. Right. Um. Exactly. <laughs> more, more home runs off the field than I guess on the field. Well, right? yes. Yeah. <laughs> Now, um, what made you apply to Fredonia? I mean, for those who don't even know where Fredonia is. Yeah. Well, um, I just, you know, I knew I was probably going to stay local. Mm -hmm. I, I applied to three SUNY schools. I think it was Cortland, Oswego, and Fredonia. And then I applied to just one state out of school. And why I picked Ohio University, mm. not Ohio State, but Ohio U. Um, and I got accepted, so I went out to look at it with my dad. But they were Division One baseball and that was definitely the next level we went to you know just kind of watching indoor practice and these kids were they were probably in the weight room more than wow. we were so uh, they they looked i said nah, i don't think this is my level so um you know back then division three was kind of the next step up from high school if you you played you're probably going to be able to find a place to play somewhere and 
Fredonia was a good mix for me, so or a good match, I should say. So when you graduated from college, what what sort of uh, field did you enter into? What were you doing? For well, my father was trying to groom me for the insurance business. And, you know, when you're a senior, you're getting your degree, you're getting through college, you're just like, yeah, it looks like I'm going to end up in the insurance field. And, mm -hmm. you know, my father's going to line me up with a guy and this and that. And that's all fine and dandy when you just say you've got it lined up. But when you actually have to go do it at age 22, mm. it's a whole different thing. And, you know, if I was to ever give anyone advice about maybe getting into the insurance business, it, it probably wouldn't be in the life side because my father, you know, had me in with Mass Mutual and saw life insurance products and annuities and all that, instead of you know going the everyday property casualty route where you know you can go out and sell car insurance and auto, you know, really auto and home, which is a little easier to get started in than you know trying to talk to you know 55, 60 year old people who have all the money in the world and you know you're trying to figure out personal questions. It's just, there was no comfort zone there. I, yeah. I hadn't achieved a single thing yet and I'm trying to tell them what to do. It's <laughs> yeah. like, this is not for me. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I, I when I went to my dad and I said, dad, am I supposed to have a stomach ache every night when I get oh. home from work? I said, is this why I went to school? Oh. I said, this, this isn't going to work. So he understood. And you know, so I gave my notice that I wouldn't be continuing with Mass Mutual. Oh. Um, and I just found a a sales job. I, I ended up selling uh, newspaper advertising for oh. a local newspaper chain. And it was a great way for me to get my feet wet because they had a territory I was in. They had a book of business and accounts that, that were on my list. And I just had to keep renewing their ads and getting creative, trying to find new business. And it was, you know, you don't make a ton of money, but, you know, it was a good way to get your feet wet and make cold calls and just get comfortable in the selling process. So that, that was a good start. Did that make did it did it feel natural doing it sales? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. That's why I took marketing in college because I I probably knew I'd be more of on the sales side than you know instead of taking uh, management. Um, you know, it's more group presentations and stuff like that. I always enjoyed doing public speaking and so on. So yeah, I definitely knew I was going to be in sales. What would you say are your strengths that have helped you succeed in business? That's a good question. Um, I think just the focus of, you know, going to work every day. I mean, there's nothing that substitutes hard work. And I mean, working efficiently is another thing, but one thing I've learned by owning my own business versus being in sales and working for someone else, and it's more of a nine to five, 40, 40 hours a week job, um, you know, owning your business, you're all in, you know, you've gotta be all in. and. There is no clock. You know, there's there's days, yeah, maybe I'll only work six hours. I only have two or three appointments. But, um, you know, when it's busy and I've got 20 to 25 or more sales appointments, that's great. I'm going to close a lot of them. That just starts all the other work that comes on top of that. So I'm in the field all day, but I could go to my office and work another three or four hours, mm -hmm. you know, until 10 o'clock at night just doing the, the data entry stuff, you know, every window I measure and every shade someone buys, there's a width and a height and a manufacturer and a color. It all has to be data entry mm -hmm. entered. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that knowledge is kind of up in your head because I'm the one at the consultation. I've got it all kind of memorized and so on. So that's, that's not easy to pass on to other people to do. But, um, you know, I think my wife, Jill is going to jump into the business and start helping out with some things. And that could certainly be something I would train her and would free me up a little more. Right. So you, on your Facebook page, you mention and have a lot of images about your family. Tell, 
the listeners about your family? Um, well, you know, we've, we've got four beautiful daughters. My wife, Jill, that, again, I met at Fredonia. Basically, from her freshman year, late freshman year on, we, we were dating, you know, throughout then. And I knew she was the one I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. She was, a, you know, a couple years behind me. So I stayed behind in Rochester. I knew I needed to stay close to be with her. If I didn't have that, I might not be sitting here today. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I might have gone somewhere else in the country. I might have gone to, you know, like a lot of people going to a bigger city. Um, I've got friends, 13 of my closest high school friends. There's only two of us in Rochester. They're all over the country, so I could have ended up anywhere. Um, but, you know, because of Jill and her family being near Syracuse, mine being here, we're, you know, we were happy with setting our roots down here. She got her, uh, her degree in teaching, so she was able to get a teaching job, and I was, you know, doing my thing in Rochester, and uh, it was a good start. And then, um, you know, since then, we've, we've got four beautiful daughters. So Tell us about your beautiful daughters. Well, my oldest is Taylor. Um, she is 22 years old, just graduated from Towson University in Maryland, and um, she's fantastic. They're all, they're all beautiful. She's certainly, um, you know, she's worked very hard to get to where she is. She's, mm -hmm. if there's such thing called as an alpha female, she is, you know, the atypical oldest kid. Wow. Very, very driven and uh, hard-headed, which, <laughs> you know, despite some of those struggles raising kids through their teens, you, you knew that that would help pay off because <clears throat> she is as independent of a 22 year old as I know. I mean, you know, she's not, she's, she manages her own money. She does very well. She works hard. Um, and she's going to be starting a career, uh, in, um, the recruiting field in Baltimore in early August. So she's kind of the first one out of the nest. Wow. And then my second oldest is Caroline. Mm -hmm. um, you know, also great kid, great student at Victor. I forgot to mention Taylor was a, a good athlete growing up, played multiple sports, ended up playing one year Division One uh, lacrosse at Binghamton before she ended up wanting to uh, transfer to Towson and just be a regular college kid and not play lacrosse and have that big commitment. But Caroline, my second oldest, also a very good high school swimmer. Um, very good lacrosse player, played club for five years <clears throat> on a local travel club, got noticed um, by a school in, in Indiana called the University of Indianapolis. And um, uh, the assistant coach came out and saw her play at a, like a, just a combine and uh, was impressed enough where he invited us out for a tour of the school. And uh, so we we got in the car one day and drove out to Indianapolis to mm. see this little Division II school of about 5,000 students. And um, they were building a program for girls lacrosse there. It was only their, I think only their second season when we went to go out and visit. But they've been recruiting a lot of kids from this kind of northeast area where we really play a lot of good girls lacrosse. And uh, they've built a very, very successful team quickly. And uh, it's been a good fit for her. She just finished her freshman year. She got you know, mono in the middle of the spring season. So oh. that kind of, you know, put a, a damper on her first season. But she's, you know, home, working hard, training, and getting ready for her sophomore year. So that's kind of Caroline in a nutshell. Um, and then we have twins, twin girls, Emma and Hope. And uh, they are a special set of twins. So uh, uh, Emma is beautiful and tall and doing all the right things and a hard worker. In Little Hopi, we have um, a beautiful Downs 
girl. So it's interesting to have a set of twins where one has Down syndrome and one's you know perfectly healthy, um, but they were fraternal. It's like two separate two separate uh, pregnancies, and we we knew we had to do some tests, but they saw a small you know they saw actually a pretty significant heart defect in Hope um, you know around 20, 25 weeks. And they said, you know, that particular heart defect is commonly associated with trisomy 21, which is Down syndrome. And so, you know, they gave us the option of doing an amnio on that baby. You know, so even though there's two separate sacs, we elected to just get the results on that one just to see. And, uh, you know, you got to wait 10 days and all that and wait for the phone to ring. So, you know, we got the call and it was confirmed that we were going to have a, a, a daughter with special needs. And... Down syndrome and so on, and you know, with a significant heart defect um, that would need multiple surgeries. So, at least we knew what what was on its way, right? And right. my wife always works hard through her pregnancies, taking care, great care of her body. You know, stays in shape, eats all the right foods, does all the right things, and she w really willed those twins to term, pretty much coming up almost to the the two week you know mark, and uh, they were born and you know born in healthy weights. And, you know, it wasn't like Hope had to be rushed in to have heart surgery. We were able to bring her home and put some weight on her before her first surgery was at five months. Wow. Where, you know, she was in the hospital for eight weeks. Um, and, you know, Jill didn't leave her side. Uh, luckily, my in-laws had, had, my father-in-law just retired from a career in teaching. And he mm -hmm. was, they were in their late 50s, early 60s. And they were able to actually move in with us. And because, you know, we had Hope in the hospital for eight weeks. But we also had another twin at home that was, you know, a five-month-old and two two girls, uh, two other girls that were Taylor and Caroline were seven and five, so they were on the school bus at least, you know, out the door for most of the day, and my in-laws could take care of Emma. And the whole thing about this was, is it all this happened right when I started my business, you know, which made it a little taxing um, because I, you know, I had to go out and work, I had to go out and try to make some sales calls and, and build this up, but. You know, and then go to the hospital in the evening time or try to go in first thing in the morning and, and see Jill and, and Hope and see how she's doing. And we just took it one day at a time. It's it's amazing we all got through it, but we did. And, and that's just one of three surgeries. So, you know, if it wasn't for the in-laws stepping in, you know, and a lot of people in our community also bringing meals and things like that, it was amazing. You know, that's one thing I'll say about, you know, having a family in a town like Victor is very supportive when people are going through a tough time. So... But a little Hopi, just, you know, she's had her three surgeries. She's, you know, going to be 15 in a month with Emma, and she's doing great. She's thriving at a school called the Holy Childhood here, which is probably about 80% uh, for kids with Downs. And so she's in her own little classroom with seven kids. She's got friends. She's got playdates. She's going to birthday parties. They have, you know, amazing swimming pool there. The kids swim. They have tasks. It's more about building, you know, her life skills for Hope. So, you know, so, so she can have, if she chooses to be, have some level of independence when she's an adult, she can do that. If um, she wants to stay here with us, she can do that too. That's fine. We're happy to have her for as long as we can. Having uh, having a large family of four children is is, is quite significant, um, and and dealing um, with the responsibilities that comes with uh, a daughter that has Down syndrome must be very. Uh, taxing. How do you and Jill stay grounded when uh, dealing with the the uh, the level of commitment um, 
in, in caring for a special needs child. Mm -hmm. I think it's like anything else, you know, you just adapt and, and certainly Jill's background in teaching and having children in her classrooms when she did, you know, teach for six years um, before we, we moved out of state for a few years. But anyway, you know, her education background and she had plenty of kids with special needs and, and really even more serious. I mean, spina bifida cases, kids in wheelchairs with shunts and, you know, kids who were unable to walk and so on. So, um, you know, Jill, Jill really helps manage all of Hope's duties. Um, she was there for when she was going through the Victor schools before we, we got her placed at the special school in junior high. And um, Jill really knows her stuff when it comes to, you know, sitting down with these teachers and, and having all those meetings. She, can, she knows the language. She's not intimidated by, you know, having six or seven people around a conference room because she's been there. She's written these IEPs that the kids need with special needs and so on. But, you know, I think we both feel strongly that, my gosh, compared to what you see with with other children with more physical disabilities, you know, having a, a, a daughter or son with Down syndrome is, you know, one of the easier paths you could have if, if you're forced to have a, you know, a kid with a special, special need. I mean, she's a regular kid to us now. She just, she has her challenges and, you know, she's great. She's part of the family. She just, you know, runs around with us and has fun and, you know, but she's also in her own little world a lot in her bedroom and loves to watch the Disney shows and animate and uh, hang out and and cut cut a lot of paper. Yes. <laughs> um, what would you say is the easiest um, aspect of um, of being a parent? Um... <sighs> That's a good question. Um, the easiest aspect is when I think you realize that you've raised pretty good kids. You know, they're the you know, knock on wood. We're Jill and I are pretty lucky that our kids have made pretty good decisions, you know, and when you're in a, a good community um, and you, you get to know these kids' parents and they're in, involved in sports and you've, you've kind of grown up with these other families, so you know where they are. Now, do, they, do we know everything they've ever done? Of course not. And my parents don't know everything, God bless them, that I've done. And yours the same, you know, so... You know, it's just the fact that you're not getting those phone calls at one in the morning, two in the morning. And, you know, Taylor's been away at school for four years and it's worked out great. And Caroline's at her school and now we've just got, you know, the, really the twins at home during the school year. So it's uh, a little easier to manage because it's not, you know, you don't worry as much when the kids are maybe away at school, wait, you know, waiting to come home every night. You know, they're off doing their thing. So, hey, come nine o'clock when everybody's inside, the door's locked and off to bed we go and you know, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's good when they, they make the, the, the good decisions. That's, that's the best part. What, what feedback advice would you give to, um, an up and coming business owner who's starting their business, um, on how to deal with the personal challenges they're going to face as opposed to, um, the expectations of dealing with starting up a business. How do, what advice would you give? Well, as a Budget Blinds franchisee for 15 years, over the years I've probably had to talk to you know, a couple dozen people about who were interested in buying a franchise. So, you know, we're kind of obligated. If something, they, they tell you, if, hey, you get a call, they leave a message, please call them back. Um, and, you know, I've always been happy to do that. And, you know, I'll try to get some background 
from them, what they're, you know, are they, were they in sales before? What did they sell? Why did they want to get into the business? What are, what are they expecting? Um, all I'll tell people is, is that, you know, if you're going to start a business from scratch, you're not buying out another franchisee who already has a book of business. If you're in a new territory and budget blinds didn't mean anything to anyone in that area and you're building the brand yourself, you need to make sure that you have, you know, a second income source to cover all your bills. You do not want to jump into a business and have to, from day one, cover all your expenses with the sales. It's too much pressure on you, your family, and so on. So whether it's your, your partner or spouse has a really good job, or maybe you are kind of took an early retirement package at age 50 or 52 and you want to do something for another 10 years, but you've got that, that income coming in from retirement, um, you know, you just, you're going to set yourself up to fail. And with us, the twins weren't necessarily part of the business plan. You know, ideally, it would have been great if Jill had gone back to work. We could have her teacher's salary and benefits um, to help support it while I'm, you know, building a business. And, you know, so we had to take a little different road to where we are today. Uh, a lot of hard work. Um, at one point, I was ready to exit the business after about four years because uh, things were getting a little tight. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. But, um, you know, I just actually took a good self look in the mirror and put my nose to the grindstone and said, you know, I can do this and I'm just going to work harder. And really from that point on, the business has gone straight up every year, you know, on an average of 10 to 15% growth. Um, and uh, it's, it's just, it's probably one of the most satisfying things is just seeing what the hard work that you've put in and what you've built and continually getting new repeats and or new referral customers from happy customers and and so on um just it's amazing i mean i'm at the end of the day i'm returning five six phone calls for new consultations and you know i've i'm out right now i'm out about two weeks for for a single appointment so i mean obviously got the holiday in here and stuff but but anyway it's that's what's incredibly satisfying is seeing what you started with virtually nothing knocking on doors in new communities where you know they just built a home they don't have anything on the windows and you got your bright shiny budget blinds van out in the cul-de-sac and you just kind of go through and knock on a door you're not trying to break in and sell them blinds right away you're not the schwan guy or whatever but you're just there to give them you know give them your card introduce yourselves to say hey my name's paul i own the local budget blinds franchise looks like you're just moving in here's my card love to have an opportunity to give you a free estimate and um that's really what we had to do when we started because if you think about it back in 04 um the power of the internet wasn't even close to what it was today right. people were still advertising in yellow pages and i had already missed the deadline so i was going pretty much a full year without even having my name in the yellow pages at that really? point really so you you know and if you only have five six seven appointments a week mm -hmm. well what are you going to do with all that other time so they they taught you in day two of training to go out in what they call canvas neighborhoods and do door hangers and knock on doors and introduce yourself. You just had to do it over and over and over, um, and try to try to you know have an opportunity to help somebody. That's actually how I got my first sale. You know, so somebody's like, "Yeah, we just moved in. We're definitely gonna need blinds. When can you come?" I'm like, uh, "Now." <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I'm like, no, "How about Monday?" They're like, "Sure, Monday at nine. So, went in, wrote my first like two thousand dollar order, and I was blown away. I was like, "Okay, this is great," but you know. It wasn't always that easy. You know, you've, we'd have months where, you know, we barely do crack ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 in sales for the month. And mm -hmm. that's certainly not enough. You know, now we're in excess of, 
you know, probably a, a good estimate is sixty to seventy thousand dollars a month wow. in sales. So um, it's a lucrative business. It is, but it's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, the average tickets, you know, about fifteen hundred dollars. So you divide that. That's you know, into those numbers, it's it's a lot of closes and a lot of a lot of work, a lot of installs, so mm -hmm. on. So um, I think one of the other things that really helped take my business to the next level is when you learn to delegate. You know, other other things. I was doing all the selling. I was doing all the installs, and you're never going to be able to grow your business if you're taking up twenty percent or thirty percent of your week or more doing the installation of the product, because that's twenty or thirty percent you're not selling. Mm -hmm. If there's opportunities and you're passing them up, you know, because you have to go out and install for a day and a half or two mm -hmm. days, then, um, you know, so finally uh, somebody had actually called me and said, you know, I'm moving to the area. I've been installing for budget blinds in South Carolina for three or four years, but I want to move back up to Rochester. You know, would you like to talk to me about it? I'm like, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. I would. So uh, um, this guy's been with me now going on. 10 plus years. His name's Sam Serpy. Mm. He's from Virgin. Parents still live locally. He's got an identical twin brother. Um, and uh, he has been a fantastic employee for those uh, 10 years. It's it's amazing that in this business you, you would have an installer for 10 plus years. I mean, that's you know pretty incredible stat. But he's at my office every day by 7 o'clock and he's usually done by you know, 2, 2.30 most days. And you know, some weeks are a little slower and he can be home by noon. I don't, I pay him a, a pretty good salary. So I don't, I don't tell him he's got to do busy work back at the office just to fill an extra hour. You know, I know he's going to do the work when, when he needs to do the work. And then there's other times it's a little slower, you know, he can go home a little bit earlier. You, you mentioned your staffer, Sam, as an identical twin. How do you know that it's not his identical twin showing up? <laughs> some days it might be, but uh, I know his identical twin also has a pretty good job that he has to show up to. So, oh, right. Um, you know, that would be, they're identical, but I, I would still know the difference. You'd still know the difference? Yes. Okay, just, just checking on that. Um, you're obviously very successful in what you're doing, but if you weren't doing budget blinds, if you weren't with budget blinds, what would you think your other career would be in? I have no idea. I mean, I had I had a 12-year career in the sporting goods business as a manufacturer's rep, and it was a blast. So if you told me in the high days of that, of, you know, going to sales meetings all over the country and having a blast, and, you know, it's really, a, you know, I hate to say it, mostly a male-dominated industry in terms of sales reps. So it was like kind of the boys' club, and, you know, we'd play golf, and, um, you know, it was a lot of fun because, you know, you'd cover three or four states or a territory. Your boss is usually three states away, you'd see him three or four times a year. But it was before everything was so controlling. You know, cell phones were just starting to come into use. We were using the fax machine a lot. I didn't, I didn't even have a, I didn't even own a personal computer until I was probably almost 30 years old. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, we just didn't need it. You know, we were still doing things on a, you know, typing up quotes on a typewriter sometimes. It was bizarre. But, um, you know, nowadays, I think it would be really tough for me to go back to a, a more corporate type lifestyle where they know where you are every minute of the day because if it's a company car they put they have a you know some kind of tracking system I don't know if you you're using one of their company cell phones they got you it's hard to sneak out and play golf at you know three o'clock on a Friday if you know your boss wants you to get him a report and he knows where you are so uh, you know that's one nice thing about being able to do this I can control my time and, and hours based on what we've got going on with the family so you know if i need to take a day here or there 
I'm the boss. I guess I can clear it. So, Paul, this is the part of the show that's called Wait What? Where I ask you questions and you're like, wait a minute. What? Are you ready for it? I don't know if anyone can ever be ready for Wait What? Michelle, but, I, <laughs> but, I, but I am certainly ready. Let me uh, just take a sip of this first. Yeah, go ahead. Take a sip. Wait, wait What? Um, my first question is, What's worse, laundry or dishes? Dishes. Bath or shower? Bath. Meaning what's worse, bath or shower? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, considering I, I don't even take one bath a year, I guess you'd have to say bath. <laughs> what's your favorite color, blue or red? Blue. What's important to you, being honest or other people's feelings? Um, I'd probably say other people's feelings. I'm pretty cognizant of other people's feelings. What scares you the most, snakes on a plane or germs on a plane? Um, boy, that's I don't know if there's a right answer for that because I probably hate both. Um, I would say germs on a plane. Germs on a plane? Mm -hmm. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. If you're eating it on a hot dog bun, I wouldn't necessarily call that a sandwich. It's, it's a specialty uh, something. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite deodorant? Um, whatever clear gel I have in the drawer. Right guard, probably. Okay. What do you clean first, your car or your desk? Well, I'm in both so much. I'm at my desk a lot and I'm in my car a heck of a lot. So probably my desk because that, that tends to need more organization from time to time. The car I kind of maintain right along, you know, keeping it clean and, you know, because we have a wrap on it for our business. So you don't want it getting all dirty looking and so on. And then because I'm in it so much, I try to keep it as organized as I can. It's my definitely my mobile office. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Right now, cloning myself. Okay, cloning. Is there anything holding you back from being the person you want to be? I can't say there there is anything. I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin right now. I will say that. If you were wrongly, wrongfully, excuse me, placed in an insane asylum, how would you convince them that you're actually sane and get out? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, I, I can't say that's anything I've really given a great deal of thought. Um, I guess you just try to act as normal and say, why is this guy here? Instead of, you know, BS crazy like a lot of people we know. If animals could talk, what would be the first thing your pet would say? I think he'd say, Luke, our black lab, would say, why haven't you taken me for a walk today? He just gives you that look sometimes like, hey, are we going anywhere? You know, like he starts to get up when you go out the front door, like, is this the time where I jump in the car and we go to the park or not? So 
that would probably be it. Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Probably still chugging it out here, doing what we're doing, trying to grow the business. Because my, you know, we're not going to go anywhere before my fourteen-year-olds graduate, um, and they're going to be entering their freshman year of high school. So we've got four more years of public school, and then Emma will most likely move on to a, a good college somewhere and uh, start a collegiate experience. And then Hope will Hope can actually go to the Holy Childhood until she's twenty-one. So oh. they have like a day program for them and. At that point, they may have some work, you know, around the community that they can go do for three, four hours. Uh, hopes with hopes, medical needs, some of that will be a little more limited because of her cardio and some of the issues she has. Um, and she's she's got a little shorter day than some of the other kids just due to stamina issues with her heart. But um, you know, and the benefits here in upstate New York are incredible compared to where we've, you know, heard. We'd really have to do a lot of research if we were going to move hope out of this state. Um, because not only are the medical, you know, the, our hospital system and our networks here are amazing, um, but just, you know, as much as we all like to complain about New York State and the taxes and the Medicare and stuff, we couldn't have been in a better state for her medical care because the day she was born, she was declared, you know, she had a disability, a permanent, right. permanent disability. So, you know, when we're talking about three open heart surgeries that could have been in excess of a million dollars, even if I had, you know, some decent um, copay with all that, I, I could still be in into it for a couple hundred thousand dollars <clears throat> in uh, hospital bills. But with her being 100% covered by um, Medicaid, we literally didn't see a bill. So you know that when she's in the NICU, PICU, plus the surgeries, all that, each one was probably at least a quarter of a million dollars or more. Um, so yeah, thankfully we're in a good spot for for having a, a child with um, special needs. Do you consider yourself an advocate for disability rights? Can't say I do. Um, I just I'll make I guess the excuse that I just I've been so laser focused on really building my business and just doing what I have to to support the family. You know that that's really been my focus. Someday, yeah, I'd like to be able to give back a little bit more. Um, with that, I mean, certainly we've done, we've raised money here and there for certain walks or the American Heart Association or Golisano Children's Hospital or, uh, the Ronald McDonald House, certainly. Um, but in terms of an advocate, no, I can't say that I've really done anything for that. And I will say, I mean, you know, Rochester's a good community. I mean, kids with special needs aren't shunned. They're accepted. I've never been, I've never felt uncomfortable ever having you know, a daughter with us at a restaurant or anything and looks or that. I mean, she's, as far as we're concerned, she's a little, she's a, a regular little kid who looks slightly different than the rest of us, but she is amazing. She is amazing. She's a beautiful, just as all your daughters are. She's mm -hmm. quite beautiful, very smart, very, very smart. Mm -hmm. um, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself traveling anywhere um, in the next five years? Traveling. Well, there's going to be a lot of traveling to the state of Indiana and back for Caroline and her lacrosse career. So besides that, I mean, with having the kids still in school, we just like to do our summer vacations. That's about the extent of our travel, doing the family stuff. If I could sneak Jill away here and there for a two-day weekend, three-day weekend, that'd be about it. You know, we have some opportunities to win trips through some of our vendors, and we'll do that. 
Um, just kind of depends on the time of the year and where it's going. Jill's not huge on, you know, European trips where you're doing a lot of sightseeing and so on. She's she's more of a beach person. She's, you know, when she gets away, she just really wants to relax because, you know, she literally is on her feet 16 hours a day um, with the kids and so on. And uh, so, no, no major plans for travel as of yet. Someday, yeah, I'd love for her and I to go to Italy and see parts of Europe uh, that, that are beautiful. Blinds have different names. If you could name a blind after me, what would it be? <laughs> I would call you the Woven Wood Roman. Oh my goodness, tell me why. Just because, um, you know, there's, we've got a book of about 150 fabrics and there's, they're just filled with different personalities. And Michelle Clark series certainly has a lot of personality. So, <laughs> Um, and I, you know, comes with a lot of great looks and weaves and dimensions and, uh, that would fit you just fine. You're not just the everyday two inch faux wood blind by any means. That is correct. And I have worn certainly a lot of weaves in my day. So I think that's a very perceptive <laughs> answer from you. Last question for listeners. There are over hundreds of Paul Woods on Facebook. What makes you different from the rest? Well, it's a pretty basic, uh name i can't say you know who knows I, I i'm not a facebook junkie certainly i i'll look at it and scroll through it and see what people around town are doing and my friends out of state but i'm not the type of guy to do a ton of posting and typically when i do post it'll be something about one of my kids accomplishments um so but it's you know like anybody else you can get hooked in and you're like oh my god i've been on this way too long i gotta get back to work or you know doing what i was doing um but different than the Paul Woods out there, I don't know. Um, just a suburban 52-year-old small business owner that's that goes to work every day. I think you know our family kind of has a work hard, play hard type of uh, feel to it, and you know we're not afraid to throw down when when we can. But you know, typically Monday through Friday, it, it's buttoned up pretty good, and we're working long days and you know cranking out a good living. So. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit with the Global Advocate. I really appreciate it. Will you come back and tell us how you're doing with your business in a year or two years time and let us know how things are going and being an empty nester? Yes, that would actually be a fun conversation. <laughs> My pleasure. Well, thank you uh, for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Shukran al-istimai ila the Global Advocate postcard. مع المقدمة ميشيكلاك سيريز هل عجبتك الحلقة؟ ارجع على توجه إلى جوجل بودكاست سبوتيفاي ومن منصة الاستماع أخرى جعل سوسكرايب وعطي معدل الخاص والرأي حول هذه الحلقة انتظركم إلى الأسبوع المقبل شكرا جزيلا